if you look at luxury brands, you brought up such a great point, Bilal. The more expensive the item, the smaller the logo for that yeah. brand. All yeah, things yeah. equal. And there's there's two reasons from the economics perspective. It's understated. You, no, there, there's exactly. There's a world though. There's two types of wealth. There's one where you want to flex on the other 98%. Yeah. But then there's one where you're already in the top 2%. You just want to flex amongst the other 2%. Exactly. Yeah. This is why like an, a Birkin bag, which is the the apex of luxury, the Birkin bag, there's no, there, there's not like a fat Hermes logo on it, right? But people that know, they know. Uh, welcome to another episode of Night Investment Advice. We've got the NAI boys here, 2024 lads. How's it going? Trunga, I heard you got a little gassed up on 2024 celebrations. Jack, what's going on with you? I want to hear the stories. I know. Go no, on, go Trung. ahead, Jack. No, no, go ahead, Jack, because I replied uh, to uh, something on the line, so you hit it. Nice. <laughs> uh, pretty, pretty calm on my end. Hey, be and, careful, uh, Trunk, because there might be someone who clips that and zooms into your face and puts the algorithms on you <laughs> like they did to Jack last week. <laughs> so I have to call it out because yeah, that was so good. That was good. That was, that was good. a good yeah, one. Calm, on, boys. Contract. Calm. Just uh, ringing it in responsibly. But, Here we uh, go. Nice little holiday break. Family in. I'm back at it. Welcome All back, right. boys. There we go. Trung, what about you, mate? You were you were out on the town? No, you were at home, but you were getting gassed up. Here's a philosophical take on New Year's Eve. Is it not the most overhyped day for partying every single year? Oh, yeah. For your entire life? Definitely. Has a single New Year's Eve ever lived? Like, you know, in your early 20s, you're buying tickets. You got the oh, pregame yeah. set up. You you're got paying the limo 100 ready. pounds or dollars for no reason. Down. For the same yeah. thing that's 10 the, the week before. It's, it's normally stupid, yeah. You're just waiting in line wherever you go. And if, it's, if you're in a bad weather city, it's never hidden. So obviously you get a bit older. So what do you do? After the age of 30, 30 or you have kids, you're like, I'm just not leaving the house. I'll be in bed by 10 p.m. You're going to bring so the party like, you know to what? your house. There you go. You got to bring the party to you. So that's what we did. We had a nice little caterer, uh, a servant, not, not a ton of people. But I'm just like, listen, I need to be able to start drinking around two or three so I can be in bed by 10. That's all I care about. You said <laughs> care, like you had criteria. a chef at your house. That's what you had drunk. Like they were just cooking up. Sorry, are you cutting off again or is it me? Uh, I think it's place. all of us. But yeah, I heard right. what you said. Yeah, we had a, right. a caterer for a short period of <laughs> so time. So Jack's sitting there with crazy. his American like, capitalism, strong internet. And where I'm in London... Trunks in Canada and we're both lagging. So apologies to Jack, Jack and to listeners right Jack's now. Jack's got that triple pay, triple play Comcast that he got a he got a new deal. But they, they probably saw the guys moving in the house. They had three guys waiting outside to lock him in into a sick deal. And uh, no, but uh, you know it wasn't a, it wasn't like a crazy expensive caterer, but it was just nice. You do it one place, but then you got to clean up the next day. But you know what? That's still the happy. hard part. No. Yeah, you, I feel like yeah, you need to invest part. in the cleaner more than the caterer. That's the yeah. the harder part the next day, you know what I mean? Because by that time, everyone's kind of just drinking, having snacks. Like, everything tastes the same by that point. But anyway, yeah, anyway, yeah. Happy New Year to you guys. What did you do? I was uh, also chilling here. I flew. I had a red-eye flight from LA to London on the 29th. So it was. I was still getting acclimatized to... I mean, I'm still getting acclimatized right now. It's like 3.30 a.m. I'm falling asleep. That eight-hour time difference hitting me, man, pretty bad. 
but yeah, so I'm I'm pretty much just chilling, not doing too much chilling with the fam. Uh, I didn't do. I was basically awake for the fireworks, but then fell asleep shortly after. So it wasn't that crazy. Beautiful. Um, well, that's but, how it is, man. Yeah. Why don't you tee the listeners up what we're going to talk about today? And I'm going to exactly. tee up the meme of the week. All right, so we've got lots to go through. We got the Bitcoin ETF approval. There's murmurings. So we've seen the hype. Obviously, the old school NIA listeners know we obviously uh, adjacent to the crypto world. <laughs> Jack is obviously in the NFT world. Uh, so yeah, we d- we do want to touch on that because Jamie Dimon be is uh, sending some mixed signals from what we can see. So we're we're gonna discuss that briefly. Um, and then we're going to talk about Disney losing the copyright for Mickey Mouse. This is as Trung fan as it gets. Uh, but we also got some edge of the internet stuff, NFT. It was, was it an NFT, Jack? Steamboat Willie? Is that what it's called? There's a yeah, bunch, we're of, about copyright. bunch of it. Yeah. yeah. All right. It's about copyright. It's about Mickey Mouse. It's about the old and the new. So we'll talk a bit about that. Then we're going to touch on next the next big thing for 2024. Uh, and then we'll see if we get to any of our other topics. Um, but yeah, so where do we want to start, boys? I guess Bitcoin ETF. We're still waiting for. Well, before the we do that, let me do the meme of go the on, week. Meme of the week. Go for it. Go for it. So our friend, friend of the pod, and friend uh, period, uh, our Ramp Capital has been uh, sending me the funniest Instagram videos that are related to C four. The one. For the listeners, there's been here. So trying. I think you're cutting off again. Sorry, Jack. Is that? And he took two. Jesus Christ, man. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Four wraps. Trying. We're gonna have to do it again because it's it's cutting off. It's cutting off. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. 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 Oh, dude, the internet's so bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Because it 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 won't work with the the cutting off. It won't be funny at all. So we'll try it again. But Jack, am I coming in and out too, or is it just Trung? Nah, just Trung at the moment. I think it's Trung's. I think Trung's Canadian internet coming through. One second. Yeah, he's frozen. I think. All right, I think he's dropped off. All right, let's just wait here. Yo, guys, are Trung, you... I think you're oh back. Oh my god, we missed Jack's reaction, man. All right, Trung, Trung all right. let's do it again. Do it again. All right, all right, all right. Okay, I, I got two for you guys then. All right, let's go meme of uh, the week. Rafa, Rafa, no, uh, uh, so Blau. Rafa Blau's going to team me up again. Trung, go, go meme of the week and I'm going to go through it. All go right, ahead, let's Blau. do that. All right. All right, before we get into our topics, we're going to go meme of the week. Trung, let's, let's kick off 2024 meme of the week. What you got for us? All right, so listeners, uh, friend of the show, Ramp Capital, one of uh, the best followers on Twitter, funny fintwit legend. He's just been sending me Instagram memes of people using C4, their pre-workout supplement. Oh, you this two one. are getting some sort of bag from C4, the man you guys no, be pumping this. I, I no, dude, I swear that C4 <laughs> is not sponsoring me. But here's one for the listeners. Uh it, the, the the caption is when the second scoop of pre-workout finally catches up with you. I'm dying laughing. He's got this the guy's strap. in the toilet. He's got the <laughs> straps you do for deadlifts, and he's holding he's ready. Fat, dude. I can't. If you're listening, you got to come to YouTube and watch this right now. He's strapping to the the, the <laughs> toilet roll handle because his head is shaking because it's exploding. Go. I got one more. I got one more. This is the other one that Ramp sent me. It's a clip. <laughs> Fuck. Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. Do you want to read it out, Trung? What's it saying? My wife watching my pre-workout tolerance increase from two scoops to three scoops. 
dude, I can't. Okay, people, you've probably lost the plot at this point. All you need to know <laughs> is that there's a lot of pre-workout memes, C4 memes on Instagram. Ram's been sending them to me. And I'm crying right now. All jokes Apologies. aside, do you think C4, this is part of their market? Are they are they releasing this? Are they seeding this out there? The way Andrew Tate was getting people to promote the affiliate That's game. That's a great... Well, Bilal, you are in digital marketing. It feels Would like the way lean, I've been seeing C4 a lot recently. Know what I'm saying? Would you lean into the joke that your product might oh, actually be definitely. unsafe? And I mean, anything that gets it out there diarrhea. more. I mean, that's just the truth. It's like, what is it? Creating... Um, no... No, if you have creatine, C4, like a pre-workout, and coffee, I mean, you you just don't be doing leg day that day because you yeah. you'll be you'll be struggling with that, man. That is a tough tough all day. Right, fair enough, man. All, all right, right let's but anyway, get into so Bitcoin. Jack, I know you're closest. I mean, we all obviously in the game with uh, the crypto world. Let's talk a little bit about Bitcoin ETF approval. Um, I know it hasn't been announced yet, but there's been a lot of speculation, and I think the price movement. Um, has been kind of showing that we've seen Michael Saylor announcing every other week another 500 million of uh, Bitcoin purchased. He's still, you know, he's in the he's game. He's posting that memes. That's when you know. That's when you know he's on the up and up. He's oh, been yeah. posting he's memes nonstop. Fully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This Anything the, else? The Christmas yeah. Day one he did was unreal. Do you remember that? Uh, no, I don't think I you, saw can that. Can you what tell you listeners saying? what I, I remember? You sent it to us. I was well, he posted, shitting myself. He posted a. Uh, uh, like a super a really shitty superimposed video of him at the head of a Christmas table, saying like, "This is me talking to my family about uh, about Bitcoin, Bitcoin being a shining like, city on a hill." Yeah, and you can go there <laughs> if you understand it. Yeah, incredible, man. Is like, it, yeah. There's definitely an index there of like how outrageous the memes are, but the sailors post and they probably track some fundamental. At least, it, at least with beyond the price movement, even the you know the greed euphoria index. Oh, that, yeah. What's it called again? The hype cycle. What, Fear not, and greed index. Yeah. Fear and greed index. Exactly. I think it definitely correlates with that at least. Yeah. But anything else? Because uh, I mean, I think a few weeks ago we had a question on the AMA about Solana. Um, we didn't get to that question, but I know Jack. We were texting about it because Solana's been picking up quite a bunch. Um, I don't know if you mind me saying this, but you would text something about, I was asking about Solana NFTs. I was like, have you looked at any of them? What's going on? And I think you said something along the lines of, this all makes Bored Apes look like a Roth IRA. I thought that was pretty yeah. funny. <laughs> so yeah. that was very good. Well, um, the, reason, like, the reason for that as well is like the cost of transacting and of creating is so much lower. So it's the same as yeah. like any market, like, to deploy a collection on Ethereum is going to cost you a couple hundred bucks. To do it on Solana is like a couple bucks. So that just lower barrier that being to the, exactly that being the the case, you obviously get a lot more volume, and with a lot of volume, you obviously get a lot more uh, spam. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I like. I admittedly, I'm I'm like so behind on that whole ecosystem. You know, the FTX blow up because it was so tightly tied to SBF's reputation. It's been like a m the most insane trade ever. I think it crashed down to eight bucks or something. And right now it's like 110 or something because people were the high so... was 250 in the euphoria days, right. but still it's this is when the all in boys in were, were gloating about it on their part. Selling their bags. Well, what, yeah. what is the Solana the, to just uh, for the listeners, uh, yeah. we'll just, I think the overview largely is that Solana is supposed to be layer one, right? It's supposed to be some, it's supposed to be an Ethereum, with a lot less transaction cost. That was that's its entire thesis. Yeah, pretty right? much. That's a good summary right. of it. 
Okay. Yeah. And I guess the, the hype around it, again, obviously this is not investment advice, but the idea from previous cycles, from what I've observed anyway, is Bitcoin is the kind of you know leading, shining light on a hill, as you described, Trung. Then slowly over the years, it, uh, Ethereum became this number two thing of, oh, if there's ever going to be smart contracts, we think it'll be there. All the NFT stuff happened, DeFi, all the, all the kind of stuff we covered in the last cycle. And then during that cycle, Solana kind of popped off as a real potential alternative. And I think that was where we actually had a lot of DeFi stuff on Solana. We had, remember, what was it, um, the step-in thing? Do you remember that stupid thing? I was walking of around course, the park yeah. collecting my, my $3 for the day. That would yeah. mean all my bag of $1,000 went down to 12 or something. Yeah. So yeah. that whole stupidity that was happening as well. But yeah, there were lots of people starting to build on it. And so, yeah, I think that is kind of the ball case for Solana is it will it be the third legitimate third um chain basically yeah and the other the other I guess summarizing those points the the thesis for Solana is like because the cost of experimentation and use is so much lower the chance of creating something that has actual product market fit is higher Right, you can extrapolate more, those you can more shots on goal, yeah. if you will. Yeah, right, exactly. right, right. Guys, yeah. I'm so, in the I, arena. I, I don't. I hate <laughs> to be uh, the guy that has to mention this, but I'm still fucking laughing about the C4 joke in my head. <laughs> Trunk, did you hit it today? What's the uh, situation? No, no, no. I didn't hit the C4 today, man. I've been. Uh, what about the New laugh. Year's Eve? Did you did you get a little caffeine boost? Espresso no, 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 martini no, 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 no. made with oh, C4. Bro, no, no, bro. Come on, bro, bro. We're, <laughs> we're, we're keeping it. It was just, actually, we did. I'll tell you what we did do on New Year's Eve, which is old school. We did jello shots. Man, those oh, creep up on go. you. Oh, those creep up killer. on you, son. What, did um, you throw vodka in them or tequila? Or what's the, it was, it was what vodka. are kids doing nowadays? Okay, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> what kids? Kids a, aren't drinking, actually. If you, that's true. You guys you know what we should we should next those big charts. thing in 2024 let's yeah. uh, add that in the kid charts and like they're not banging they're not drinking that whole nine right they're all freaking they're 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 they're, they're, they're walking to earn with a stepping app that's what they're, they're on doing. they're on I don't roblox think that's man true, boys i think they're like vaping synthetic yeah yeah, yeah yeah that's true i think that yeah everyone's they stopped... still getting torched you know what? a different different sort of torch yeah this should be point. for the feed. let's add that to the uh, end I'll of the conversation the, because uh, i love jack's stuff, thought yeah. on that i i actually think that well first of all there's some smartphone related stuff but it's like i used to go get wasted on fridays because i didn't have the internet where you on my in a smartphone where you could just occupy yourself for 10 hours i had literally yeah. nothing else to do we can talk about that later let's talk about jamie diamond which you brought up um what is the bitcoin etf situation here I, i'm not sure all i know is i saw one tweet that said that the first one was filed in 2013 the original bitcoin etf was filed 10 years ago how crazy is that oh and i did see this because I am holding some GPTC bags, which is, uh, for people that don't know, that's a Gemini Bitcoin Trust, the largest one in the world. I think that 30 billion of Bitcoin. Um, it's uh, trading much closer to its net asset value, which is its actual holdings. Because pre previously it was like discounted or premium when, the, when there was yeah, a big because, boom run. Because it wasn't an actual ETF, right? Because you couldn't actually redeem for shares or issue new shares, which is what the whole controversy has been around. But I saw that uh, Barry Sober, was that his name? The CEO mm -hmm. of uh, Gemini? Mm -hmm. He resigned or is leaving the board of GPTC. And I was seeing some chatter that part of that is because the SEC is basically like, okay, if we're going to turn this into a proper ETF, 
we also basically said that you were doing like against in terms of SEC, not legal stuff or not kosher stuff. You're gonna have to step down. Like we're we're gonna need some type of trade going on here, right? So that's what I saw. I don't know anything else. I'm gonna leave it for you guys. It seems inevitable that it'll be a Bitcoin ETF in 2024, though. Markets, uh, I think the betting markets have it like 95% or something right now. Okay. Probably that's a good way to yeah, that's actually objective, not just three idiots on the internet talking about it. Well, here's my question. You guys know the (laughs) saying, right? You buy the rumor, sell the news. At this point, is it priced in? That's a yeah. Jack, any thoughts before I share mine? Mate, I'm not, not going to speculate on that at all, no. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm going to try to not speculate. But, you know, I, I agree. Generally speaking, we've seen that before. So who knows if uh, that will happen again. But generally, when you're waiting for something, people will have priced it in potentially. And then on the actual day itself, often things go the opposite way because people are selling selling it. Um, but I think it's more of a long-term thing. If you're thinking just from principles, like if there's a limited supply of Bitcoin and there's more demand, hopefully, from a ETF like this, that would be the hope. The only thing is I don't actually know the ins and outs of, does it mean if each of those, like let's say BlackRock has a Bitcoin ETF, do they need to hold actual Bitcoin the way that previously people used to have to hold gold? Um, I think Coinbase is actually the trust for all of these uh, ETFs oh, wow. that are okay, being okay, filed. Okay. Bullish Damn. for a coin. coin. Uh, I'm still down on my coin position. Full disclosure for listeners, I inadvertently rebuilt ARK Investment, like the ARK. Like, I'm like, yeah. oh man, I'm not crazy about this uh, ETF, but uh, I mean, maybe it's a little bit speculative, but like- You I bought Square and you bought, bought Coinbase <laughs> and Bitcoin at the top. Unity, Shopify. There we go. But no, and I, I guess the only thing I, I wanted to bring up, and again, I don't know if this is even verified because we don't verify stuff on here. This is what you're coming here for. This is the hard-hitting stuff. But this is a, from Bitcoin Magazine on Twitter. They said earlier this month, JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon said the only true use case for Bitcoin is for criminals. Meanwhile, JP Morgan is now an authorized participant for BlackRock Spot Bitcoin ETF. Now that I don't know if that's verified. I'm assuming it is because I saw that. Jack mentioned something similar a couple of weeks ago. It's like, what's going on here? Is Fink trying to fill his bags at a lower price point? Is he throwing a little bit of FUD out there? (laughs) Is Jamie throwing a little bit of FUD out there? But then... What's why I I do, not what I say, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Look, watch people's actions, okay? A lot of speculation. the, The... the whole ETF narrative is there is no instrument for like pension funds to get exposure to Bitcoin, for example, right? Like the GBTC has not passed muster or doesn't meet the criteria for a massive uh, investment vehicle. To, yeah, it's not to, BlackRock, basically, right? Like you need yeah. the BlackRock and the Vanguard. And I don't think those like shares, I don't think you can redeem them or something. Like you just, well, that's not the point. Yeah, that's why they instrument. trust. Yeah. Right. So the market last night had like a little ape run based on, I don't know, some idea that this thing is information is, uh, yeah, I think the 10th is the deadline. Oh, sorry. I've been saying Gemini, grayscale. Grayscale. Grayscale Bitcoin trust. Okay. Grayscale. Yeah. I think, uh, I think the 10th, they have to approve it by the 10th and they ask for a bunch of, uh, They have to approve or disapprove, I guess. It could be either, right? Correct. Yeah, correct. 
Correct. All right. So that's coming up. It's well, Jan second today. It's Bitcoin's fifteenth yeah. birthday tomorrow, boys. So that would be a nice mm. little. Uh, that's the day lore. this goes out. Jan third. If you were a branding guy like Jack, that would be You're a great day it. to drop yeah. it. Drop the, the Genesis news. block. There we go. <laughs> Cancellor on the brink of second bailout for uh, banks. You know what? Okay, you know what? Jack mm. called it. Uh, I, I'm on board, Jack, here. Someone will... Uh, the... the, uh, the What's the word here? The the the, the symbol the symbolism the is too big. The most entertaining outcome is the most likely. Yeah, as they it's say. happening tomorrow. That's true. All right, people. <laughs> it's happening tomorrow. Uh, Trunk calls it. Trunk uh, you know said it's on very, I gotta fact. be very there honest though. I don't think I'm ready for this next cycle, boys. <laughs> oh my god! Because now you discovered the C4 life too, so you're yeah. gonna be on absolute fire. Yeah. Oh, all right. Man. Yeah. All right, Jack said last it. night it'd be crazy if it got approved while we were doing the pod or today and then yeah. trung will be laying down because your people old school and let us know that trung was standing for a while yeah. because of the, uh, the price all right so uh yeah let's move on to the next topic good i think we weren't to touch on that just because it's top of mind for a lot of people uh stay sane out there boys but um disney trung you you were writing about this disney's losing the copyright for mickey mouse obviously one of the most iconic uh, what do you IP in the world, right? So, do you want to talk this through? What, why is yeah, this? Yeah, let me let me tee it up. So, this is what I want to tee up. I want to talk about Mickey Mouse. I want to talk about uh, public domain in general. And then uh, I know Jack has a lot of thoughts about this because this is very closely related to the NFT space, right? And uh, Jack always mentions uh, in his previous non-investment advice, but when he mentions something like common, was it was what is it? Creative uh, Commons, say? yeah. Creative Commons, yeah. Maybe Jack can talk through a bit of that. So let me just tee up uh, what's going on here with uh, Mickey Mouse. So uh, as everyone here uh, probably notices, um, they might not know the details, but you know, every January first, there's new intellectual properties that enter the public domain, right? It's literally called Public Domain Day. And uh, we know this from Twitter because people just make fucking hilarious memes over <laughs> turns into public domain. Two years ago, it was Winnie the Pooh. And then what was the viral thing that came out? The the Winnie the Pooh horror movie, right? Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Uh, two year, or th- Three years ago this time, The Great Gatsby entered the public domain. So somebody self-published a book called Great Gatsby Undead. It's about vampires. So yesterday, when Mickey Mouse... So just to be clear here, I don't want anybody to get into legal trouble. This is the 1928 version of Mickey Mouse, the famous Steamboat Willie, okay? Was he even called it, Mickey Mouse? I don't think he was called that, was he? In the, I think, well, the, the, the movie was called Steamboat Willie. But was uh, the character th- called Mickey Mouse then still? I believe it was. I okay. believe it was. So uh, I'm going to tease through a couple of things. But the point I'm trying to bring up is yesterday... Uh, sure enough, uh, somebody made a horror movie with Steamboat Willie and Mickey Mouse. Uh, so my first thought is this. I, I, I want to ask you this, guys, uh, this question. How little imagination do we have? <laughs> That's the only fucking thing that anybody does with this IP. Everybody's like, oh, my God, these copyright regimes are insane. Copyright lasts almost 100 years. And then the first thing anybody does is to make a horror movie, a low-budget horror movie. So thoughts on that. What do we think about that before we get more into Steamboat Willie and why Disney is actually very important in the copyright conversation? Well, the turnaround time on that is probably one of the reasons why it's the first thing to come out too, right? It's like the least imaginative and the like mashup of genres becomes the first thing you see. Uh, Yeah, that's... 
That's your first thought. Yeah, just low effort. Uh, not even the one that you posted with the the computer game was was unreal. I thought like there's no way yeah, that, that was there's no way that was made yesterday. And I think that's some like legal precedent there of like when you started working on it, not even when you published it. In- yeah, because they started working on that before. Uh, I don't even I don't even actually know. So for the listeners, I mean, Rafa, if you can throw up, uh, it's on my feed. I don't want to throw up here. Um, um, because it will interrupt. I'll throw up some other visuals, but basically, it's a first-person shooter with the same aesthetic. Incredibly as well done. Incredibly yeah. well done. So yeah. what I what I what I will do actually is to show uh, the listeners or or the viewers at this point, if you're listening, what I've done is this is an article from Duke Law School, and uh, they have ten pictures of Mickey Mouse here, and uh, just to, I'll walk it through for you guys and anybody that's watching. But basically, uh, I, I'm pointing at the first two images here. So the 1928, this is what is now in in public domain. So it can be used. And just to, to clarify, I haven't even said it yet. What is the point of copyright? The point of copyright is to prevent somebody taking uh, uh, something that you've done creatively and, and profiting from it. That's basically the point of copyright. And the big debate over copyright is how long should you have that extension? Because the tension over copyright is always... Uh, there's two parts. It's like, should we let people build on top of other people or should we let an individual that's shown the ability to create something new profit from it? And if so, for how long? Like that's the tension, right? So uh, at this point, it's basically like a corporation can own a copyright for 95 years, which is what happened with Disney here. Uh, And, uh, you know, there's some people that for the creative commons, which is what uh, Jack has dealt with NFT world is, you know, people can just use it right away. So, Jack, uh, let me actually throw that to you specifically after I walk through the rest of these Disney characters. Uh, so, uh, if you're not, if you're listening at this point, which most people are, I'm just walking through the different years. Uh, 1935, 1940s. 1940s, the other famous looking Disney character is the Fantasia one. So, he's got white gloves now at this point. And then if you go into the uh, 2000s, you'll see Mickey with these, uh, the pants, the red pants. So, like, every small variation that Disney made, they got a new copyright. So a lot of people think if they look at that regime, they're like, that's kind of weird, man. Like you do a small variation, you get another copyright on it. So let me throw this to Jack who's dealt in this space. Jack, that tension between how much should somebody profit from their own ingenuity versus how much is being built on other people's stuff. Like, how do you see that tension and how would you do a copyright domain? Is 95 years too much? Is it too little ETC? Man, it's so, it's such a bizarre conversation because once this thing ticked over into the into the public domain my first thought was like what are they gonna look for as an infringement like the name mickey mouse did that become like i'm pretty sure you still can't use that right well let me answer that specifically that's a trademark so they have a trademark on mickey mouse trademark and trademark is related to brand creativity is related to creative work Unlike a a copyright, a trademark has no finite life, which makes it interesting. As long as that thing is a going concern, they can enforce trademark. So I bet a lot of uh, any future lawsuits we see will be Disney trying to hammer home on the trademark front. They're like, we still own the trademark and this, you know, the idea of Mickey Mouse branding, that is what they will probably be have the most uh, legal potential for. So yeah, I'll just answer that one specifically. Which that, that in my mind is like the person with the most resources to enforce that. And this is the, the counter to the, the copyright, the owning of IP, the like, you know, forcefulness of 
saying you can't draw a cartoon mouse, right? Or what? at what point does a cartoon mouse become Mickey Mouse? It's like when it has those ears or when it's when its shorts are red or when it's called Mickey Mouse. Like all of these things are somewhat subjective, right? Unless you're doing a one-for-one grab of the frame. I, I read this article yesterday uh, about all of the story IP that Disney is built on is just taken from somewhere else and reskinned, right? Like they just cleverly took these stories that have resonance in culture, put a caricature on top of it, give it a brand, give it a trademark, and then it's yours. I'll walk through. I'll walk through a bunch of examples okay, now nice. for the listeners, just so they can laugh. At a, this is a great point, Jack, because the the other tension with Disney and copyright is that they were responsible in 1998 for something called known as the Copyright Extension Act. Basically, they lobbied like very hard to have uh, an extra 20 years added, basically, to a lot of these copyrights. But to Jack's point, we're about to laugh, people. Bilal, get that laughing face ready. <laughs> Cough. Frozen, inspired by Han Christian Anderson's The Snow Queen from 1844, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Victor Hugo's story from 1831. The Lion King, inspired by somebody named Shakespeare from yeah, 1601. Yeah. The Little Mermaid, another Hans Christian Andersen uh, poem, a uh, short story called The Little Sea Maid, 1837. Alice in Wonderland, Lewis Carroll's book, 1865. Cinderella, a poem by Charles Perrault from 1697. Snow Lindy, White. Damn. Stolen from their brother's grim from 1812. So this is exactly to Jack's point. This is, I mean, let me throw it to Bilal since we've been kind of going on about this for no, a bit no, here. I just threw you, look, because you're a corporate guy. You formerly used to like work at a company but, called yeah. Google. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm a corporate guy, but all yeah. Right, all right, fair enough. <laughs> That's all right. Bilal, yeah. No, I know what you're corporate saying, experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah corporate there experience. There we go. <laughs> Imagine, right? You need a Disney. t-shirt that says the corporate guy. <laughs> That's the worst. Imagine you're Disney and you are trying to enforce your 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 trademark and copyright on Mickey Mouse in those years. But then you are just the biggest hypocrite ever because of what Jack said. Every single thing you built your empire on is jacked, was taken from someone else from the 1800s or the 1600s. Thoughts? But, well, I, that's a good point. And I guess the, the wider question is, isn't all creative work inspired by someone before and where does it start? And this is a very, you know, that idea of where does something start is the question you can ask. You can keep going back, I guess. Right. So you could ask like those people that said it was inspired by something in 1600s. Were they inspired by someone else? I'm sure they were. Did they steal it from biblical stories? Did the biblical stories steal it from ancient Greeks or whatever, you know, you know more about the historical stuff than I do. So I guess that's why we've talked about this on a show before about like these classic things like the hero's journey, as an example, these kind of frameworks that if you watch, it kind of spoils watching films, but any, any film pretty much you watch, you can, you can break it down into a lot of those pieces a lot of the time. And um, so, yeah, I guess the, the question is, and especially for someone like Jack, who, is your full-time work is a, your creative person creating stuff putting it out there and you've in the past actually taken stuff purposely and remixed it very specifically knowing people know what the ip is so 
I, that's maybe a better question for Jack, someone who's actually creating stuff around that. Like, what is the threshold, you know? And I know we've talked about Virgil in the past and he had a role, well, I forgot what it was, but there was a role that he had- 3% um, role. 3% role about changing 3%. So yeah, I guess that that is the question. Where Where does time start? Is it just the person who wrote the history book that it became popular enough? Or was it the fact that they actually found it from someone else previously? And what is that threshold of being able to change something enough? to say, well, this is now an original piece of work. Um, and then the other part is the form that it takes. Like one is the original story, but then the rest is Mickey Mouse became household name because of movies, yeah, because yeah. of theme parks, because of merch, t-shirts, like everything, right? So yeah, that, that's all I kind of think about it. Yeah, and it's context, like how this stuff is, you know, parody law. Did you ever see the Starbucks um, Nathan Fielder thing? Did you ever see yeah, that one dumb, where Was it dumb Starbucks? <laughs> dumb Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> incredible and like yeah all of this stuff is like inc insanely subjective and i think the the context of it or the intent of it is really where the line is drawn right it's like if you are trying to start a competing movie studio and start up a uh like mickey mouse one for one replica of a movie that's already been created that is not like additive or or evolutionary or any of these things it's just a pure like trying to pirate material as opposed to everybody being influenced by everything and the 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 thing that really gets me about this is like it does a disservice to people who are influenced by things because you culturally discredit or you say don't give credit to the person that influenced that thing, right? Like you're actually dissuaded from providing credit to the thing that influenced you because you don't want to invite legal scrutiny on what you're doing. Is that fair? Does that make sense? Uh, that's, I really like, yeah, dude, that's It that's creates like a fucking weird yeah. culture. It creates an incredibly odd culture and the like, the ability to defend this stuff on one side, you really want to enforce that for artists that, you know, need to make a living off this stuff. And like, if you make something that appeals to a lot of people, you should be able to capture some value from doing that. But the inherent act of making something that appeals to people creates this ripple effect where people want to be part of that. People want to build on top of it. People want to remix the thing. And it's, it works so differently in different industries, like music, for example, if you'd have stopped DJs, you can't play that song, you can't remix that song, you can't take that verse and put it on this track, you can't, nobody, for whatever reason, like in a live setting, that was that's never been contested that that's like something you shouldn't do. And I would argue that's been the most incredible thing for music as a genre. Actually, Jack, it has been contested. Ed Sheeran was sued by the estate of Marvin Gaye. Oh, and, of course. Yeah, yeah. there are examples yeah. of it. I apologize. Yeah, yeah no, well, no. What I, what I mean, though, is it brings up a great point, though. So he literally went on the stand during this trial. He won, by the way. And he just started strumming. And he's like, here's 10 songs that we all know. Listen to how similar they are. And just yeah. imagine, imagine oh, that's Ed so Sheeran. gangster. What what that what what gangster move? Is that on Bro, footage? Did you have footage I, of that? I, 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 there's footage. Just, I think... I, I don't know if there's footage for this. He went on the Howard Stern show and showed what yeah. he did. I think I've right. seen what that he did. before. Yeah. yeah. But How I didn't know he did that in was court. That, dude? Incredible. He's incredible. like, oh, bro. Oh, Marvin Gaye. Proof yeah, of he's work like, right like, there, I, He's man. like, I love Marvin Gaye. He's like, yeah. 
but to Jack, your point, he's like, I didn't see this as stealing. And again, you know what? I, I don't fully know. And I, I understand why somebody would be upset. But he's also, man, I love Marvin Gaye. It's like, I was trying to like honor him, right? It's like yeah, Jack, yeah, exactly. said, it's like, And, and it's listen, like, if he'd, he, he would avoid saying this is a Marvin Gaye remix or he'd have, like, because of the legal Marvin situation, Gaye or something because, like that. Yeah. yeah, or inspired by it even because of the legal situation versus wanting to actually give credit, which is what I have a problem with, which is like, this is obviously any musician is inspired by all the music they've ever heard. And in some cases, you can directly attribute that to like, this is a, you know, my reinterpretation of this song. Like, electronic music is a great example of that. You remember when a song would come out and there'd be like a thousand different remixes of it? trance remix house remix frick like all of these different genres would do a take on the the song at the time and for for whatever reason i guess it depends on the notability of the person and this is what i've been like exploring for the last year is like some of that becomes this thing that catapults your career and other times it's like you, you know you can't do that we're going to shut it down it's a very fascinating conversation and like even some genres have been born out of that too, right? Hip hop as a genre has been this, like, take this thing, add it to this thing, two turntables, like literally the mechanics yeah, of hip hop is about mixing those merging of stuff. Yeah. And, and in the beginning it was like the funk beat on repeat, like it was, and then the MC came on top, but that that's exactly it. Yeah. And like, and, and outside of like direct IP stuff, the remixing or the, the influence that comes from other stuff. The example that comes to my mind is like features on social networks, you know, where Instagram's just like, oh, stories off Snapchat. We're doing that. Yeah, or whatever it was called on Snap, we're doing it. Yeah, yeah. Call it something it, I else. I think it was literally called stories. I'm pretty yeah, sure yeah, as well. There you go. They didn't even try to name enough. it something different. I guess they're, they're just big enough. We're like, we're doing it. And we've got like a thousand lawyers that can defend it before we launch it or defend it after the fact. Well, well at that point, you've already gained the benefit anyway. So exactly. And yeah. that like, that's where this battle becomes this, like the only people that can really play that are the, the giga giants. You know, it's like, it is trying to dig a bigger moat for these massive monopolies in IP. And more often than not, they're outside the control of the original creator at that point anyway, right? It's a, it's like a governmental effort to, and I, I, to be honest, like remixing Mickey Mouse is not that interesting to me personally, but to somebody it might be. Um, I don't know. The, the, and the fact that it was protected for that long made it, you could argue that that's what made it valuable, right? It's like it didn't, it, it had this very curated, very intentional path into the world which made it this valuable thing that everybody loves and then a hundred years later being able to remix that is you're you're like drafting off some of that equity that was created but that's true in so many other things in a more subtle way this is just like the monkey brain thing is so easy to say like oh that's this character that i've seen before and the three percent virgil is such an incredible example of like doing this in a way that was largely celebrated culturally. And because he was so good at it, the people he was remixing are like, please come and work for me. You know, they weren't like, shut this guy down. It's like, let's uh, make him the creative director yeah. of LVMH or let him do a hundred shoes for Nike. Some kids doing that will be getting cease and desists saying, stop doing that. Cause you're not, 
you're not doing something that they celebrate or whatever. It's it's a, such a fine line. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah, I have a couple of thoughts on this. Uh, uh, I'll throw them out right now for you guys. Well, first one, the first thought is let me clarify the exact number. So the uh, Copyright Extension Act, uh, which was also called the Mickey Mouse Protection Act, uh, the, the AKA of it. So individual works is the current lifespan of an author, whoever made that work, plus 70 years. So when you die, 70 years afterwards. And then the corporate lifespan is either 95 years from the date of publication or 120 years from when it was created or whichever is shorter. So those feel so long, dude. dude imagine, Jack, imagine Insane. like uh, 70 years after, like you get that from the author's life. That is a lot, man. Like that's a general, that's multiple generations. Well, it's they get well, the copyright. I guess what's crazy is like, like, what are you defining as copyright? And we'll see how this plays out too, because the stories or like the, if you took a, some Mickey Mouse cartoon and changed all the characters, for example, like changed the appearance of all the characters, but kept the dialogue the same or the story the same, whatever, like at what point does that switch over? I don't know if I don't know how I feel about the like specificity of that stuff. And, a lot of it, I think, is like the spirit of it versus the like. It's very hard to give it like a quantitative. It's not like you selling handbags on Canal Street, right? The, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was like, that was oh, not yeah. made at the Louis Vuitton factory in wherever the <laughs> wherever that place is. That's like a straight up ripoff, and and you're trying to deceive people by doing that too, right? You're not. I'll, you're not, I'll tell you what's funny. I, I used to live in Vietnam, obviously. And they obviously manufacture a lot of stuff in Vietnam. Let's just say you go to the markets there. A lot of stuff fell off the trucks, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. <laughs> Wait, but you've traveled Southeast Asia. You remember going to those Thai markets? Oh, yeah. They get the, roll, it's, unreal, it's basically the man. same. Yes. I mean, I don't know enough to know the difference, but um, they, they have like different levels of, of copy. Even from when I used to sell stuff, I remember they would, people would come and pitch you and be like, oh, well, this what is. Was, the- what was the name of your business? Uh, we're not we're not talking about that now as i'm talking about <laughs> <laughs> fake stuff but <laughs> no no yeah but uh, people would say like oh well this is the same bag that is you know manufactured in the same yeah. factory which is interesting yeah. if you look CBS at like italic brand. have you seen italic the brand uh, yeah, the company yeah. italic their whole business model is we're selling the exact same thing from the factory with no name on it which is actually really smart and it's actually pretty good stuff. Um, it's incredible. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. But no, go, go, go for it. Go, say I was just going to say this stuff is just so, this is like fascinates me. This is like my most, uh, the stuff that I'm so interested in, you know, having worked in advertising, the value of a brand, the amount somebody will go out of their way to support company X versus that same product without the badge on it, let's say, right? Like, uh, the italic stuff is the perfect example of it is like you pay a three X premium for like a towel with a name yeah. on it that nobody else is <laughs> yeah. even going to see. Yeah. That's but you have, you're offered the alternative. This is the exact same thing. And it's like, Oh, that's, it only appeals to a small group of people. And I think it is like so indicative of just our irrationality as a species, right? Just all yeah. of this stuff. Um, is it irrational that- though? Or is it rational? Is it 
is the fact of the, I don't, I, I think you would probably agree that Ashley is ultimately rational, right? It's like you take a luxury brand. Uh, I'm going to tell you something. Drunk, because I've been did you say irrational or rational at the end? No, it's like, uh, well, Jack was saying, you know, like, why would somebody pay for a towel three times just because there's a tag that they, yeah. the whole, what I'm trying to say is like, actually, whatever that person's assigning to it, that is an extremely yeah. human and evolutionarily produced. I'm going to get, I'm going to get a little theoretical here. I think you guys will enjoy this because I've been doing this solo pod. I just did an episode on Aramez. I recorded it and I'll, I'll tease you guys. I'll tease the listeners for something I discovered from there. That is a bit fucking mind blowing. Why is it that the world's most famous luxury brands today? So in the year 2023, they're all from eight early 1800s Europe, France, mostly. So you think about, uh, Louis Vuitton, Hermes, uh, uh, Hublot watch, um, uh, uh, go to caring uh, brands. Yeah. Caring's all the, they're basically all from the late. Wait, caring for France early. too, right? Or yeah, that's a, that's a yeah. holding company. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but are so they from all, France? I was saying. Caring is, I believe France or Italy. One of the two. Yeah. Uh, the, oh, there might be TLDR, Italy, actually, yeah. yeah. TLDR being, if you actually look at these brands and you look at the, 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 the houses under LVMH, a lot of those are from the late 1700s, late 1800s. Why is that? This is what came out from this book I read, The Luxury Strategy. It fucking blew my mind. It made so much sense. They're like, so what they're happened French, in by the, 18- the way, just a heads up. Just they're French, to clarify. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so what happened in the 1800s? Okay, so French Revolution, 1789. American Revolution, 1776. What existed before these revolutions, right? It was like the monarchies. The way the world was structured, the hierarchies were structured through a king, through an emperor, ETC. Republics come in, and the, the power, quote unquote, is, is supposed to be spread through the republic, through a democratic system. Also, the industrial revolutions happened in, in 1800s. So you have two things happening at once. The old structures built around kings is being destroyed. And now with the industrial revolution, wealth, wealth before, which was heavily concentrated in one place because you didn't have steam, electricity, where you could actually distribute it and energy to the rest of the population. These two things are happening. So you now have a situation where you need to replace the old monocle hierarchical system. What do you need? You need something. You need status symbols, hence luxury brands. That's exactly why all these luxury brands come in from the 1800s. Wow. They were what replaced the human humanity's need for hierarchical Signal. systems. That's interesting. Signals yeah, and so, status. Yeah, signaling. Yeah. So I'm gonna throw mm. that out there. And but the reason I bring that up is to Jack's original point. Is like when we're saying three times. You know, you're paying three times just for a little label on a towel that only you will know about. But that's the whole point. We're yeah, yeah. humans or evolutionarily have functioned in hierarchical systems. That's just how it's been. Whether or not you agree with that, that is just a fact, right? And uh, I mean, you go back and go back to the earliest uh, ancient civilizations, go back to ancient uh, Egypt, famously, right? What was happening back then? Is that all the resources were going to one person, this King Tut, right? And what happens? They're spending the entire, like the equivalent of the entire GDP of Egypt to build this guy a pyramid for his life after death. So like hierarchical systems have just been there. They have just like the Jordan Pearson joke about lobsters and hierarchies. It's like, it's, I don't know if it is a joke. You know what I mean? It's just uh, whether or not I agree with it. And I, that's why when you said that the towel, I just thought, you know what? And actually, I don't know if it is, uh, predictably irrational. The, yeah, uh, yeah, there we go. Predictably irrational. Well, so but it drunk, is very just, rational. Just to add, and I, that was really cool um, connection you made there. I, I definitely agree with you. I guess the question now is, there's two parts to that. One is the need to have hierarchical structures 
and uh, that sort of stuff. And um, the luxury goods might have like taken that place, but I would argue that depending on the generation of development of basically economies and cultures within those economies, that's like, I think Europe basically is ahead in terms of like number of centuries from the US and US is, um, has been richer for longer than let's say China, right? And so you look at even when, I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, I, I used to work on all those luxury brands and the research was everything is moving to Asia. Like the consumer is becoming primarily an Asian consumer. Uh, I will give you, I love that so much. Yeah. What is it about Asian society? They're the most hierarchical society. Exactly. And, and, and also though, just to finish that, and I want you to come back on that, is whereas in Europe and even the US, right, there's, there's normally trends and counter trends. The counter trend to this is an italic style business right before that it was like the fast fashion stuff where everyone's buying fast fashion It's obviously the opposite of luxury very cheap everything but the italic is kind of an interesting one where uh, i don't know how to say this without just speaking from experience when you don't have money you want to show off right my mom literally yeah. saw me at the airport and she's like almost laughing because i look like homeless because my uh, little puma tracksuit looked like i'm you know just like a, a a poor guy basically and then she's like well you used to love clothes so much and blah 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 and i was like, i still kind of like clothes but i'm on a on an airplane i'm just trying to be comfortable here but she's like oh yeah back in the day you wanted all these fancy clothes and i was like yeah because back in the day i didn't have anything and i wanted to show off that i had something now i have a bit more now i don't now i do the opposite i want to like just dress it down basically right and so the italic thing is an interesting one where people who value you know, good quality stuff, craftsmanship, all that sort of stuff, but then don't want to be in your face, you know, Gucci logos everywhere. They they have uh, are willing to pay for these kind of like, um, there's, there's a phrase for it, something luxury. It's like- uh, Actually, I'll tell you, there's, there's actually two tiers Not of luxury. Not quiet luxury, luxury yeah, go on. Yeah, well, yeah, it, it, quiet luxury is kind of the idea. It's like, yeah. actually, if you look at luxury brands, you brought up such a great point, Bilal. The more expensive the item, the smaller the logo for that yeah. brand, all things yeah, equal. Yeah. And there's there's two reasons from an economics perspective. It's understated. You, no, there there's exactly there's a world though. There's two types of wealth. There's one where you want to flex on the other ninety eight percent. Yeah. But then there's one where you're already in the top two percent. You just want to flex amongst the other two percent. Exactly. Yeah. This is why like an a Birkin bag, which is the the apex of luxury, the Birkin bag. There's no there there's not like a fat Hermes logo on it, right? But people that know, they know. And, if they know, you know, exactly. Yeah. And, and then, Trump, uh, can I just add one other thing to yeah, that, that point from before? Was that I think that our generation also, we've now got new luxury goods in air quotes that signal, right? And they have replaced those, you know, luxury LVMH in your face things for a big segment of society. So for us, the way we signal and flex is people post pictures on Instagram. Look at where I'm traveling. I'm in this crazy resort. I'm doing X, Y, Z. I'm flying first class, whatever it is. And so people have always done that. But now we have a place where you can actually just show all your friends, even if you don't mean to do this, that's subconsciously what we're doing. Whereas, and, and it's like, it, for me, like I don't really post anything on social media for a while. But when I did, I wasn't necessarily thinking, oh, I'm going to go show off to my friends. I was like, oh, I'm just going to share a picture of me on vacation. I'm on a trip. But probably deep down no, there, it's like, that. let me let him know. Like, you know man, what I mean? this guy's living. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this guy's living. Yo, Bilal is living. <laughs> but no. no, but so that's the kind of, I would put that in the same understated thing. But also there's another, if this was like a matrix, it's like the segment there is, it's experiences versus goods or like 
items, right? So no, here I'm gonna yeah. walk through this because you identified actually got Jack ahead before I, I, I launched into my thought. Well, I just like the point you made about like the digital layer makes experiences a status symbol, which is why I think you know the trend of like millennials don't like to spend their money on things they spend it on experiences yeah. trying to be some like enlightened shit you know like yeah, oh yeah. these no, guys we just are change incredible. what we flex on exactly or we buy nfts for whatever and put it in the profile picture and like you said the a perfect example those who know know exactly. who knows what a toad is hoodie crypto on fund. facebook <laughs> no yeah. one knows what a toad is but if you're on twitter when we were all putting them up there you knew you were on the in crowd. No, guys, you know I, I mean? think we're. I think we're this convo. I love where it's headed because now I, I'm going to tease out this one more thing. Have, are you guys? Do you guys ever read Rob Henderson? Uh, he's incredible. Yeah, incredible luxury beliefs, writer. right? Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about. We should get Rob on the podcast. Actually, I've done a couple of pods with Rob on uh, on Jim O'Shaughnessy's podcast. Rob has a new book coming out. It's called Troubled. I started reading it. Uh, uh early edition, really good. Um, but Rob, uh, to Jack's point. He wrote something called luxury beliefs. And this is very related to what Bilal is talking about, actually. So I, I kind of want to get more philosophical again on this. It's like, think about the the the, the best phone in the world. It's the iPhone, right? Uh, everyone can have, anyone in the world can basically own an iPhone. Like, let's call it 6 billion. Because I know a lot of the world's living in poverty. But even then, like, you can get a cheap iPhone, right? So what I'm trying to say is this. Uh, somebody once said, uh, I think Buffett said it 20, 30 years ago. He was talking about Coca-Cola. Berkshire has a huge investment. He's like, listen, you want to know what's beautiful about Coca-Cola? The Queen of England drinks it and then like a regular person on the street can drink it and I drink it, right? So like, that's a luxury. Like Coca-Cola used to be a luxury. Now everybody has it. iPhone's the same. It's a luxury. Everybody has it. So to Bilal's point, you got to, the whole, the thing underpinning all this is people want hierarchies. They just do. It's just whatever you think about it, it is uh, don't do as you say, just watch people. They want it, right? They want to be able to flex on cats. B Zadie is dropping the freshest photos from the Amalfi Coast. He's letting you know. He's letting you know. But the whole point is this. Didn't pause so one. Didn't pause one. <laughs> just in the private so. WhatsApp group. Just, yeah, to just in the let the boys know we're having a good time. But luxury beliefs is such a powerful idea because it is everywhere around us. And it's the new way now for rich and quote unquote in their eyes enlightened people to show that they're enlightened right yeah. so I'll give you the example of two luxury beliefs uh, that Rob has mentioned number one was defund the police it's like saying defund the police particularly uh, two three years ago at the height of uh, uh, of uh, the BLM movement um, whatever you think of it the saying that was basically saying I'm an enlightened liberal I think police departments have got completely out of uh, whack and I'm saying defund them uh, as a way to create greater equity in uh, this country. Right. But the people often saying this and they've, and you know, they ran studies on this, they're li living in gated communities or they're living in areas with a lot of proper policing. Right. Where uh, they the whole point is that of a luxury belief is you say something where you aren't affected at all. But yeah, we use what champagne classes. socialists as well. Yeah, champagne socialists, phrase, right? Yeah. Exactly. Those are that's luxury belief. Another luxury belief uh, from a lot of uh, uh, upper middle class, if you are, or educated liberal elite, is you know marriage is antiquated. The marriage system is very antiquated. Uh, you can have different uh, marital arrangements, but then you actually look at them. They are all married. They all live in 
in, in, in nuclear-ish type families, right? Two parents, two kids, parents stay together. And the economic outcomes from single parents versus a, a, a married family, go look at the numbers, right? There's a, a married couple, children from married couples have significantly more uh, positive economic outcomes just because of stability. But like Bilal said, champagne style, I'm a liberal elite. Here's my luxury belief. I'm going to say, you know what? You don't have to worry about marriage. Go live your life. Uh, find self-actualization. Don't worry about marriage. They're not affected by it because they're married. They're happily married. But then look at what happens when they're pushing this other narrative. So I think luxury beliefs is a very powerful idea. And uh, you can see it everywhere. As you can no longer flex on people just through materials, like, ooh, cool, you have an iPhone. So does like every other gym on the street. Well, now you can have a luxury belief, which doesn't affect you at all. But you can actually go it and puts you above it. someone else, basically. Yeah, hierarchy. because there's cost to saying these things, right? Mm. They're social and like uh, ego costs. And then you say them, it makes you sound cool with your other liberal friends. You're not bearing any brunt of it because you actually are influencing policy. That's the thing. Policymakers are buying into some of this these luxury beliefs and they have. So I love you guys' thoughts on that as an extension of what Bilal was yeah, saying. That makes sense. I don't have any other thoughts. A good, good point. Jack, anything else on that one? Really? No, good no, good, good expansion. I think like that it just ratchets up too. When some it's like Overton window, there's always that edge on either end of I have to take something more extreme or um the whole TikTok uh like certain things being transmitted through TikTok as a way to differentiate yourself without decades of effort let's say so you can interpret that however you want but there's there's like the social signal you can send to differentiate yourself quickly there's there's obviously people will take that path and i've been guilty of it as well the like this is not me saying i'm a fuck yeah enlightened genius or anything it's like yeah, yeah. we're dumb idiots and we do the thing <laughs> that makes us look the coolest in the shortest period of time well, just so people know the original name of this podcast was three idiots or something like that it was uh we were playing around with different names it wasn't literally three idiots but no three unqualified idiots was it yeah, you yeah, did the word the like word art it was like something that. along well, those here, lines hold on but, yeah. i know we're gonna probably transition over to the nyt one uh, because we droned on. Sorry about yeah. that, guys, on my last no, bit there. No, this was a good discussion. Breaking go for, yeah. news. Oh, Claudine boy. Gay has resigned from Harvard. Oh, I thought you were going to say mm. the ETF was Yeah, I know. I thought we were <laughs> had some real news here, but Trung has been following the spectacle there over there. There she is, people. Damn, Claudine wow. Gay, which we discussed. Uh, we don't have to really get into it, but it was like, it was just untenable, man. She was the DAI final boss, though. That's what we were saying last week. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, final. And, and got got. Yeah, there we go. Um, All right, wow. so let's let's um talking of DI. Let's talk about New York Times and OpenAI. What was good? Well, this is kind of related, right? There was um yeah. To Trung, do you want to just give a quick like summary of what happened with this? Because this is kind of related in a way with the copyright stuff and who owns what sort of situation. Because and also as we cover AI a lot on this pod with new stuff in tech, this is something that is uh, very relevant. Hundred percent. I don't know if, uh, how much you guys saw. This is actually very relevant, and uh, uh, Jack didn't get a huge chance to explore the Creative Commons stuff. But uh, the AI stuff, I think, would be very relevant here. Basically, New York Times sued OpenAI, said a lot of uh, the outputs uh, and the training uh, of OpenAI's large language model and ChatGPT was. I mean, they used the entire internet, but New York Times is saying they're particularly focused on the work of the New York Times, which is 
probably not the truest thing in the world. That's so uh, funny. This is, this is what I heard. Ours actually. is so important that they had to yeah, really that, index our They specifically news. focused on our thing. Um, no, but true. Listen, I've been trolling the New York Times. We all have, but like they, they got great report. It's a large organization, right? Like they do. Yeah, of course. The opinion section is the crazy stuff, but like their the actual reporting is top notch. Still a lot uh, amazing work. Yeah, for sure. Hundred percent. So just give me an idea of the scale of uh of uh OpenAI's training. I think uh, Wikipedia made up one twentieth of uh, GPT three. So like, think about that. The largest uh, curated, that must be the largest part, no? Yeah, and that's about five percent of uh, of all the training. There's no more training data for uh, uh, OpenAI really, but uh, so New York Times is coming at them with this suit now. Sarah Silverman led a suit with other comedians over their writing. And I think the TLDR of this case is the lawsuit has an interesting part where it showed that ChatGPT has a direct output from a New York Times article, which is their claim of copyright. Uh, but I've seen a lot of follow-up being like, it looked like they had to like, you know, when you prompt it, you got to like... You're like being very specific, specific. about that prompt. You're like mm. basically saying, hey, can you you find an NYT article about this exact thing? Give me give something like I can use in my suit, basically. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Essentially, right? But uh, I've heard that it'll be very difficult to reproduce that in courts. That's one thing. The other thing that is of relevant, I sent you guys a link, was uh, the thing that's brought up is the suit talks a lot about everything we mentioned. It's like, oh, New York Times has 120-year history as a top-notch reporting institution. They're top-notch investigigators. Like, uh, we go to war zones. We embed people in difficult situations. But yeah, then if you actually read that, topic, it's like, yeah. that actually has nothing to do with copyright. You know what I mean? That's a argument about the civic purpose of New York Times. Not saying that's not important. I'm just saying in copyright law, it's irrelevant. That's not. I guess they're more saying the phil the philosophical question of like these institutions, and I think that's kind of what I'm interested in is beyond just New York Times. It's like Trung Fan who has a certain style of writing, Jack Butcher has a certain style of visualizing value or visualizing stuff. Like I guess the question is all of these open, uh, you know, these AI LLMs or whatever, they're all using the open internet stuff that's available. And the question is like, how is that value going to be distributed to some of those people, if anything at all, when these companies are becoming hundred billion trillion dollar companies based on that? So I think that's 100%. how I would frame it. And, and, but you could argue, let's just take a, a step back, like Google search, right? Like Google indexes everything on the internet. And the argument has always been, well, we're going to drive traffic to your website. So that's a mutually beneficial thing for everyone. Everyone agreed with that for a while. But then when Google started putting those snippets in the actual landing page and you're not now not clicking through to the blog or you're not clicking through to the tool or whatever, that is a valid concern for a lot of those people saying, you're using my stuff. You're not even sending traffic anymore. This trade doesn't make any sense. So I guess that, that, by I, the way, was there, was there... Because I remember, I think I, there was a few lawsuits related. Yeah, you know, Rap Genius. Do you remember that site? Oh yeah, going. yeah, yeah. Became they Genius. Did, they, yeah, they murdered that basically overnight with that. Well, now they they're in like Spotify and stuff. I I don't know if yeah, I don't know how they monetize it anymore. But yeah, that basically was it. Like it shows the lyrics on the the search page versus got clicking through. Yeah, we're just like it seems like it's the same debate with the copyright thing from earlier, yeah. which is who owns what, like the. I've actually done a couple pieces about this, like the alphabet, 
Like people are able to recombine the alphabet in infinite different ways and create value with it, but nobody owns the alphabet, right? You can't license the letter A, B, C, D. If you could, then maybe you could, you know, somebody should be getting royalties on whoever invented the alphabet, but it wasn't one person who invented the alphabet, right? Because like there is no instance where one person invents something, even though the cultural consensus might think that way. I think I mentioned this last week on the pod, the um, How Innovation Works, you know, that Matt Ridley book. Like everybody thinks there's a eureka moment when stuff is invented, when really it's like a million different iterations and inputs and accidents and blah, blah, blah. Um, But the maybe the like monetization component of the open AI thing is where the issue comes in like there's a direct you're paying directly to query that was the meme right it was like you're taking the free open internet and charging 20 dollars a month or whatever it is right, right. For an, API call, on, for on an api call on yeah. exactly but that's i mean everything is that like you want to get philosophical it's like every like everything is an api call on previous human knowledge yeah. even physical yep. products that's anything that's that ever has been made right <laughs> and well, that, that's actually the partial criticism of NYT is and like they've actually been caught a lot working off other places reporting and and we'll all understand this right because like, the brand matters so much so like oh that's some solid reporting you did there Mr. Independent Reporter yeah yeah now let us Let's just slot it under the NYT brand and not give you any credit, right? Well, here's so, another maybe another analogy would be like, well, if you wrote a story about someone in the New York Times, why aren't they getting some of the ad revenue directed back to them? That's the no, same exactly. argument, right? Like they're the source material for the thing that you're writing about. Are you directing energy towards the people that you're writing about? You're just a layer on top of a story. Like it is your responsibility to present that in a way that people want to pay for it. Right. And having benefited from the open internet for this long, like people, this is, I want all of the upside and none of the downside, right? I want to be able to broadcast my shit to the world. And this like all roads lead to XAI boys, as I've been shilling on the pod. (laughs) When you sign up for an X account, you're basically volunteering your IP. You're giving, you're consenting to everything you write being part of that model which also bypasses also bypasses a lot of weird stuff and the like now it's all of the things that felt like they were degrading the twitter user experience in my mind are trade-offs in producing the training data for the ai right letting people write ten thousand word posts copy and paste a wikipedia article into a tweet which people will do and that that's like plausible deniability for the training algorithm. We didn't do it. Somebody else trained the AI on like, you could go now and tweet every single New York Times article one by one. Dude, and you would be you putting it into the crazy, XAI. Jack? You want to know what's crazy? I listened to his entire uh, uh, interview with Andrew Ross Sorkin. So who's he? he? Elon Musk, you talking about? Elon. Yeah, yeah, Elon. They literally brought up what you said. <laughs> Some guys like, couldn't somebody just take a Washington Post article, make a long tweet of it, and like post it on, uh, you know, like they take excerpts of it? He's like, listen, we're just creating a place for free expression. And but to exactly, D chess, no, but this has been going on. You know, actually, you know who uh, our boy Adam Singer, also a friend of the pod, he has a great article about the internet. 
He's been, he's like, I've been doing forums since the mid nineties. And this was his line. He goes, you, you can't stop the remix. It's like what J- Jackson said. It's a, it's, it's inevitable. Go, you're going to make the Kanye West yeah. everybody song. That yeah. is oh, the man, ultimate remix. A great, yeah. Yeah. great shout. Belong. He goes, yeah. it's not about content. It's about context, which is to, to Jack's point. Jack has actually talked about this in the past for listeners. who may not remember. We've asked Jack this before. I think listeners asked him at AMA. This was the question that was put to Jack. Jack, when VV Visualized Valley started popping off and your style started popping off and then you saw people jacking it, what was your thought process? Because you you walked us through your thought process. I think you explained now. Or even just to clarify, some people would imitate, but there's other people who literally took your visuals, didn't credit you and put it in a mega thread and would get like crazy views or whatever. So yeah. How would you I feel at to, that moment? Yeah. I used to get so wound up by it. And then like it takes a little bit of inflect like self-reflection to get to that point. But it's like most of the stuff I was making, or all of the stuff, is informed by somebody else's words. Like that was how I got that thing started. It was like, take these things that have been said that are interesting, that are true to me, put a layer of context on top of them. And for me to get upset with other people taking that and, you know, in some cases, maybe this is again about intent and like the remix being additive or just being a pure, like make a fake version of the, of the band uh, of the bag and sell it somewhere else. And honestly, I don't even know how I feel about that anymore. I'm like, you know what, if you're better at distribution than me, or if you're like, you make a bag that people want more that's based off something that I made, you know, it's kind of fair game. There's, there's, it's a real, like, especially on the internet where the incentives are so different. Like if you are a New York times, or if you're, we're actually seeing these like incentives play out with the Twitter revenue, right? Where people are aggregating stuff that other people made, made in quotation marks are, farming yeah they're farming engagement even elon himself right is like taking the the downloading the meme that somebody else made tweeting it i'm not saying that he's doing it for the the uh the, the elon payout but it's the same idea it's like there are accounts there that are building way more way more reach from just curating stuff and you could argue that like to what degree is what is curating versus creating the line is like, you know, screenshotting a tweet and reposting it. Like you, it's an act of curation. Like you're not necessarily creating anything there, but doing that a million times and building an audience of people that like appreciate your sense of humor, for example, like, is that a service that you should be compensated for? That's the philosophical question here, right? Is, is, can we work together or not? Or, or do we have to pretend that we're not working together? We have to pretend that this person didn't influence me, that I didn't get inspiration from here, that I can't say, you know, I'm remixing this thing. Does that, like that? That to me is like creates these really awkward and unfortunate incentives. And I don't know. There's there's really like this is why it's so contentious. I think is because there is no. Yeah, there is no right or wrong definition. Yeah, it all yeah. comes down to how it's interpreted and the spirit of it and how people uh, go about it rather yeah. than like this cut and shut, cut and dry, wrong, yeah. right, blah, blah, blah. I, I think though, just to wrap it up, because I think we're going to have to, 
either do the last topic or skip it for next week. Great points, Jack. I think the only thing I'd add is the question is if someone like a Reddit or a Quora, um, or, you know, different sites on the internet that have user data, if any of them are being compensated by OpenAI, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, etc., then it opens up the debate around should New York Times be paid for that? Should trungsblog.com be compensated for that, etc.? And that's why I think... There we go, readtrunk.com, <laughs> exactly. But uh, so I think it's an interesting debate. We'll continue to follow it here. I think we got five minutes. If you guys do, we can just quickly bang out the last one. I think we had a really good discussion. No, on, I'm cool on that. on that. I think what I, I would, I think, I think we All should right, just on. end on this. Uh, yep. And what I'll add is this is uh, I just wanted to end on below the point you brought up about the commerce aspect of all this. I think that's what this ultimately comes down to. I think the cynical side of this is NYT is just applying pressures just so they'll get a fat licensing agreement. And actually, that'll be positive for them in the sense of, okay, they'll get some money out of this. But at the end of the day, like these are just not sustainable uh, deals, right? Like like I think uh, Business Insider uh, did a licensing deal with OpenAI, but... It's like it's like Jack said. It's like how much of this value are you going to capture? It is a shitty situation, though. It's like I think what makes this entire episode interesting is we're all creators, right? Like we, blah, you have your own podcast. I write. Jack does visual stuff. We've all been knocked off or had things clipped at some extent, so we know how much it sucks to not get credit or not get the engagement and ultimately the money that flows from that. And it's like Jack said, you it goes both ways. Are you making something even worth being knocked off, right? It's almost like a a, a, a sign of a, it's a positive sign. People aren't going to knock off just pure bullshit. I mean, some people do, but the whole point is. But yeah, by definition, it was used for entertaining yeah. or something that they wanted to share in the first exactly. place. Exactly. So I think the the bow I'd put on this NYT chat is I think for them, it might just end up being the the, the, the resolution will probably just be they'll get some fat check from what being an from it. But I don't know if it actually solves anything. I don't even know if that's what their point was, which makes the whole thing of them, them playing the journalistic card really cynical. You know what I mean? Like uh, that's how I'd frame it. Yeah, it's, it's also the, it comes back to the name and trust and even the Harvard stuff that we were talking about too is like they that's what they're trying to defend, right? Is the, our point of view or our stamp of approval is this really legit thing that you should respect. And if you can get that information without the brand, that is diluting our ability to dictate that to the market and the cost of doing that, the cost of like owning, I don't know, 20,000 square foot of real estate in Manhattan and printing a hundred million newspapers every day to be, you know, to have that service be accessible. Arguably it already is right. It's like, these are the, like the hooks you're trying to throw at the end of your tenure, right there. These are signals that the incumbent is fighting for its life. And we've seen it. Like, I don't know. I'm like, that's a good, good point. No, no, I love what you're saying. It's like a last gasp, right? It's like music industry with Spotify or exactly, uh, exactly. Blockbuster with Netflix is there and they're like, oh, no, we're, yeah. I mean, there's a thousand examples like that. Unbundling. Like, and that's the funny thing is like, eventually it does concentrate back because I would argue the streaming thing has not been net positive. Well, now we've got seven things we pay the same amount for for cable, right? That's the joke going around. Yeah. Like, we, we, we like comment on this transition as if it's like oh we're gonna enter this democratized this one thing era, that stays no, forever 
just chat GPT becomes the new thing that you pay in a hundred bucks a month to or whatever to get basic information from. Or like HBO, Netflix, Hulu, etc. You've got to be paying for open AI. I've already got, Twitter, yeah, I've already got like two hundred bucks of AI stuff going on. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't even Jesus use any of them. Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like Mid journey, let's put it on this. Two hundred million rev zero raised legendary oh insane man. Insane, insane dude and that's that that stuff has gotten just absurd. It's, uh, it's i'm unreal. so behind i just saw today that dali 3 is out i gotta get on that this afternoon here we go there's another sub that's for you jack's afternoon sorted all right boy what we we'll do is i do want to talk about the next thing in 2024 but let's push it to next week because that could be a whole discussion because there were some interesting ones i want to talk through because we talked about the less alcohol thing there's some ai stuff the glp ones um there was fractional work like there was a bunch of stuff that i think could be honestly like a whole 20 30 minute discussion so if you came here for that make sure you tune in next week because we'll cover that uh, hopefully next week and uh, there was some other stuff there as well so hope you guys enjoyed that happy new year to everyone thanks for rocking with us all year round we got a lot more coming for you this year, so we will see you next week. Cheers. Beautiful. Bye-bye. Cheers. Thank, thank you, you buddies.